0: Welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I'm the founder and CEO of Mara Poling. Happy to be with you this week to talk about an interesting way of looking at investing in multifamily real estate. And that is thinking about investing in an apartment as though we're in the subscription business subscribing to an apartment. That's the way we think our tenants really operate when they sign a lease. And we're going to talk about that this week in some detail. As always, if you have any questions, shoot me an email, pat at marapoling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. Don't forget to swing by the Learning Center at MaraPolling.com. Hopefully good content there that you'll find valuable. Uh, soon we will have a uh, recorded copy of last week's Multifamily Financials webinar available for the public. Uh, we're just about done with the processing of the recording, and we'll have it out all to uh, all the attendees in the next few days, and then uh, probably next week have it posted for public consumption. All right, so with that, let's talk about subscribing to an apartment. When you invest in multifamily real estate, whether it's purchasing a duplex that you're going to own and operate yourself, or investing in a syndication with a sponsor, or maybe you're an investor with us and you're in the total return fund or potentially one of our other vehicles... Yes, you are investing in real estate, and you get all the tax benefits that go with that, uh, the cash flow, the appreciation, uh, the ability to defer tax long term, the security, the stability, all great stuff. When we think about investing in real estate, though, we're not really buying a building. What we're buying is we're buying a business. We write a $10 million check, and we buy a property, we're buying one that generates about a million dollars a year in revenue and after expenses has about a half a million dollars left over. $500,000 on a $10 million purchase price would be about a five cap. So we're really buying a million dollar a year business. And we have all the same factors involved in operating that business that any other business does there's the competition for customers there's the drive to find ways to improve margins there's the opportunity to add more value to the experience that either results in more sales or results in uh, the ability to ask a higher price to command a higher price in the marketplace it's a very healthy way to think about investing in real estate. But we want to move beyond that, beyond that basic model of it's a business, because if you, th- if you think about it for a moment, we're not actually selling a product, right? It's, it's not a one-time experience. It's not like you go down to the car dealership and you say, hey, I need a new car, and you go for a test drive, and you go in and finance it, and you drive home in your car, and maybe you buy a new car from them or another car from them years from now. Maybe you buy it from somebody else. Maybe you don't buy it. Maybe you'd simply use that car for five years or eight years or ten years. You might go back to them for some service. Um, but you're, that's a product that you're buying. Just like when you go to uh, the grocery store or you walk into Walmart, you're buying a product. Now, there are services that we all buy. Um, But most services we buy, we buy one at a time. You get your taxes done, even if you have the same person that does your taxes year over year, highly recommended by the way, Um, my guess is you don't have a contract with that person. You don't have a subscription agreement where you're bound to have them do your taxes. Every year, it's a decision you make whether it's conscious or not. And that's probably the true, uh, the same and true for many services that you might have. The uh, desire to have a subscription, which I would define as having a contract so that I, as the owner of that subscription business, can forecast revenues based on recurring revenue that I'm going to get, You sign a contract with me where you commit to send me X amount of dollars every fill-in-the-blank, every week, every month, whatever it might happen to be. And I can count on that for a period of time. That gives me greater stability, potentially allows me to be more efficient. And in the last few years, we've seen an explosion of subscription-related processes added to product-oriented businesses. I'll give you a couple examples that come to mind for me. One is uh, you go on Amazon to buy some razor blades. It's where I buy my shaving gear. And every time I go to buy some razor blades, Amazon wants me to sign up for a subscription where they're going to charge me a certain amount of money every month and razor blades are magically going to show up on my doorstep. I always say no. I always decline. That particular service isn't a fit for my need. However, those folks that do sign up for it, they're getting some value from the simplicity of that process. But Amazon and the provider of that content, of that piece of material, of the razor blades in this instance, they're getting a steady revenue stream. And they can now forecast what their demand is going to be much more easily as they go into the future and they can count on that revenue in some instances they might even book that revenue right so if it's ten dollars a month for a year they might actually book the entire hundred and twenty dollars when someone signs that contract up front there's a variety of ways it can be handled for accounting purposes but um, subscriptions are very valuable from that standpoint i'll give you another example just happened to me this week took my truck in to get it washed And I have one of these little cards where I buy like 10 washes at a time. And I get a bit of a discount for doing that. They get my money early and uh, have it available to help run their business. Now, it's not really a subscription, right? I'm just buying in bulk uh, in advance. So I used it, and it was my last one. And I said, great, I'll reload it. And they said, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. You can sign up for our monthly service. So for a certain amount of money per month, I can bring my truck in anytime I want and get it washed. Well, I I don't have that kind of a need, so that doesn't work for me. So I'm just going to buy my washes one at a time as I go through. But these businesses, businesses like having recurring revenue. So let's think about our model as being real estate investors. We own properties, and we're going to talk about multifamily, obviously where we essentially have a subscription relationship with our customers. They don't come to us and say, you know, I need a place tonight. There are examples of that, and it's in the hospitality industry, right? Hotels and other short-term rentals, right? You could be an investor and own uh, properties that you would uh, rent as vacation homes, right? Airbnb and uh, all the other services that are out there that help you do that. But if you're an investor in a traditional multifamily environment, you have a customer that you are coming to an agreement with in which they say, I'm going to sign up for this product, this service, this unit for a year, and I'm going to pay X dollars during that time frame. And then that contract not only commits them to that unit for that period of time, but it commits us to those dollar amounts, right? So even if we're able to get higher and higher rents throughout the period of time that they are under that one-year contract, we don't go back to them and say, you now have to pay more. No, if they signed a lease at $900 a month, then they pay $900 a month until they get to the end of that lease. So uh, great for us. We get this recurring revenue, helps us be very stable Right Now, one of the things we obviously try and do is we want to have an experience that's um, as unique and tailored to their needs as we can. We we really don't want to be in that commodity space. We want to be in a space where we're providing more than just the basics that they need. You know, as we've said in the past, if you think about... um, Where multifamily real estate uh, fits for consumers in their hierarchy of needs, it's it's pretty foundational, right? I mean, food and shelter. There's not much more foundational than you can get right there. However, there's a lot of ways you can get shelter, right? Um, You could go live in a cave or pitch a tent out in the woods, Um, or you could live in a palace that's a pretty broad spectrum. I don't think anybody, uh, at least nobody I know, would say that they have a need to live in a palace. Uh, They have a need to live in, and then everybody would probably define that a little bit differently in terms of what that space would look like, how large it would be, what characteristics it would have, and so on. And then you start moving a little more towards the luxury end of that spectrum where you would say, oh, it would be nice if it had, and then you start filling in the blank. And that's where you eventually get to things like, it'd be nice if we had a beautiful infinity pool and if there was um, you know, covered parking or valet parking or you know, whatever it might happen to be, items that become valuable, but that ultimately really aren't needs, right? So, so we want to meet that basic need, but we want to be able to move beyond that as well in our business model because we don't want to be fighting at out in that commodity space because what differentiates commodities, as we all know, is price, right? If you can buy a gallon of gas at gas station A or at gas station B, how much it costs is the highest factor in terms of determining where you're going to purchase it. Now, the gas companies go real hard at we have this additive or we do this. And it might be that one gas station is maybe easier to get into or out of or maybe has some additional services like a a car wash that you could use or those kinds of things that might sway you. Um, But if you're just fighting the battle at a commodity level, it comes down to price. And we'd like to not be in that position. So, yes, it's food and shelter. And we want to provide some of those amenities and benefits that allow us to optimize our investment. From that standpoint, <clears throat> so pardon me. When we think about subscriptions, as I said, there's a number of examples out there. The one that I think comes closest to the mark right now, uh, and I and this is a pretty common experience for. I don't know, 80% of the population, I don't know what the numbers are, um, would be phones, right? Smartphones in particular. Uh, generally, you're signing some kind of a contract. Uh, often it's a contract around the actual purchasing of the device. I don't even know if there's an actual contract that I executed about staying with my carrier, but I know there's a, there was a contract when I bought my phone to pay for the phone over some period of time. So there's a contract that's executed the phone company looks at what it costs to acquire a new customer like me that cost of acquisition it's an important number for them it has a lot to do with uh, how they structure their pricing and how long their contracts might be and so on because they would like to simply keep me okay so that's one of the things that's maybe a little different because while we would like to keep our customers our tenants Um, we know that we're going to have a certain amount of turnover. And in some instances, uh, we actually may take steps to generate a certain amount of turnover. Uh, And we'll talk more about that in a minute. Now, where we're a little different than phones, Mm -hmm. right? So one place obviously is you can absolutely make an argument that a phone is, especially a smartphone, is less essential than having a roof over your head. At some point in time, though, having a phone really is an essential part of life, and because we don't have the old style phones that we used to have, we don't have a phone at a place, phones are now connected to people, Um, some level of communication is truly essential, especially to have... A job and be safe and do a number of other things. So so it's pretty close to food and shelter. Maybe it's just that next notch up. So that's one of the things that's different. But the two points that I would say are truly different, and I think this helps illustrate the subscription model in the apartment space, is one, the amount of competition, right? When your contract expires with your phone company, you have a handful of choices. You could go to one of the other major providers. You could go to some of these smaller companies, which in many instances, aren't actually providing service, they're reselling service they get from those major providers. So maybe you have a dozen, maybe there's a dozen different companies you could go to out there. And then obviously they all have different plans kind of like different units that we might have. But maybe there's a dozen you could shop with. Well, if you're in a smaller market or if you're looking maybe within just a few miles of any multifamily property in a, in a major market, you're going to see thousands of units that are available. Uh, one of our properties, and I, this just happens to be some data that we had gathered recently, so I'll use it for this purpose, one of our properties has, we'll just say 100 units in it, and within about a five-mile radius, there are 5,000 Class B units. That's a lot. Now, obviously, they're clustered in in, uh, individual properties, so it's not 5,000 individual units that are out there. If they were, um, you know, 100 each, that's, what is that, 50? Uh, So lots of other competition, many more than just 12. And when someone is looking for an apartment, there's a lot that they can choose from, and there's a lot of factors that might make that apartment, beyond just price, more valuable to them. Amenities, location, uh, access to public transportation or access to the highway system, uh, proximity to, uh, you know, urban centers, uh, restaurants, uh, you know, entertainment, all those uh, sorts of things could be something that uh, impacts that. Now, at any given point in time, 5,000 units aren't available. So while there are 5,000 units out there, if you had about a 3% true vacancy factor. So this is not the vacancy associated with kind of churn, but actual empty units. If you had a 3% vacancy factor, it's about 150 units. So if somebody's looking at a unit at one of our properties, um, they've got as many as maybe 150 other units out there that they could look at as well that we're competing with. So there's a lot of competition there. The difference, though, so more competition, but the difference is uh, there's a fixed amount of supply. So in the phone example I was using, in that subscription model, when there is more demand, so we'll just make up a number, suddenly there are 10% more consumers that want phones than wanted them before. Well, that extra 10%, those phone companies either already have or can build additional capacity to do that. They can expand their networks so that they can keep adding subscribers. They can keep adding consumers. That doesn't exist in the Class B real estate space. As we've talked about, the cost of new development in Class B is almost completely prohibitive of developing new Class Bs, which is why so much, the overwhelming majority of new construction has been in the Class A space. Because of that, we have a fixed supply. So while we might have a tenant who's looking at our units and has 150 others to choose from, they're not the only person looking. There are maybe a couple hundred people looking at all of those. And so when you find one, you fairly quickly need to make a decision. Otherwise, it may not be there because Right now, Class Bs are running so highly occupied that that condition is what is fueling the significant growth in rents in the Class B space that we're all seeing on a, on a current basis. So when we think about the business model, the fact that we're not just buying a piece of property But that we're buying a business, a business that generates a certain amount of revenue every year and has a margin uh, that we'd like to continue to find ways to improve, and that generates from that margin and revenue uh, some operating uh, profit. And our goal is to manage and grow that number. When we're thinking about that as a business, It's less a Walmart or Target kind of experience, right, where we're buying things from wholesalers and turning around and selling them. And it's more of a subscription service where we are uh, providing a service to someone, a product to someone that they will make a longer-term commitment to that provides us with recurring revenue so we get that stability, the stability that, that the razor blade company and the car wash provider are looking for when they implement a subscription a subscription model. And we have competition that we need to deal with out there, but we also know that it's a fairly fixed amount of competition. And therefore, it allows us to uh, be a little more targeted uh, to make improvements that we think can really optimize our investment. And if we can stay within that sort of mainstream of the competitive environment we don't want to get too far ahead of the competition we also don't want to lag behind the competition but if we can provide a product that is uh, healthily competitive if that's a if that's a word um, then we should benefit greatly from the fact that we have a continued growth in demand with very stagnant if not completely stagnant supply so, I hope this helps you uh, look at your real estate investments uh, just from a new point of view. Uh, They are real estate. We absolutely think about them that way. As I said, tax policy certainly is a real estate uh, oriented discussion. They are businesses. And we do look at them uh, as a business, including a Target and a Walmart and the car wash and the phone companies, just as a business. But I also think it's helpful to think about it as a subscription business because that is the experience that our consumers, our tenants are having is they're making a decision that is going to result in them having a recurring expense on a going forward basis. And we're generating recurring income, which has a lot of value. And one of the reasons we know it's valuable is we don't see businesses out there today that have subscription-based businesses moving away from subscription. What we see is businesses that are more individual product or service oriented adding or trying to move their entire business model to a subscription-based system. So, again, hope you found this valuable. If you have questions, shoot me an email, pat at And don't forget to swing by the Learning Center, M-A-R-A polin Thanks for joining me, and please join me again next week for another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Pollack.